The Athletic. Davis! Oh, what a finish! Sean Davis secures the first division title for Fulham! Oh, what a wonderful finish! In the summer of 2000, Fulham were on the precipice of an extraordinary season. A new millennium was underway, Tony Blair was nearing the end of his first term as Prime Minister, and as Fulham started their season against Crew Alexandra on the 12th of August, Craig David's seven days was top of the UK charts. Manager Paul Bracewell had left, and former French midfielder Jean Tagana swooped in to the banks of the River Thames. His arrival prompted one of the most memorable seasons in Fulham history. Fernandez with a kick, oh! and it's played through here to Barry Hales! Clark shot gets a deflection, comes to Davis! On this new episode of Unforgettable, we look back at that triumphant campaign, hearing from some of the players in that iconic team and the fans who were there to witness it. The years leading up to the season have been ones of huge change at the Cottage. In 1997, Fulham were promoted from Division 3 under Mickey Adams, and then in 1999, Fulham took Division 2 by storm under the guidance of Kevin Keegan, who was snapped up shortly afterwards by the FA for the vacant England manager's job. Fulham's ninth place finish in their debut season back in the second tier under manager Paul Bracewell would have been seen as a resounding success by many, considering they'd only just won promotion. But this was nowhere near enough for the ambitious chairman Mohamed Al Fayed, who in March of that season sacked Bracewell and quickly appointed former French European Championship winner Jean Tigana to take over. Here's Fulham Supporters Trust chairman Tom Greatrix's reaction when the announcement was made. When John Tagana was announced as the manager in the May, at the end of the season before, there was a lot, I think, of uncertainty. You've got to think back 20 years. It was still relatively new to have uh, foreign coaches. So I don't think people were quite sure, but there was certainly a wave of positivity. And you know, the chairman and the club had set themselves a target of getting to the Premiership within or Premier League within five years. And we were sort of what were we, three years into that. Um, so there was an expectation we'd change, but nobody was really quite sure what it would be like when uh, Tigana was first announced. Fulham defender Kit Simons, who later went on to become a manager himself at Craven Cottage, recalls how Tigana instantly changed the culture at Fulham. Well, it was a big change. I mean, I think European managers had started to come in at sort of Premier League level, you know, at Arsene Wenger. But, but to happen at second tier league, league one as we were then sort of championship level was, was unheard of at the time and it was complete change for us he came in to Ghana with obviously Christian Damiano and Roger Propos and, and they had a real definite way of working of doing things the fitness like I said went away pre-season it was sort of three training sessions we were up for a run before breakfast and then a, you know then a morning training session little bit of rest in an afternoon session and you know so we maybe done a couple of training sessions but to suddenly be doing three it was a big shock to the system but we all bought into it straight away it was a shock to the system but everyone bought into this this way of working without question really and here's Fulham's midfield general Lee Clark agreeing with Kit that Tagana's training was key to Fulham's success absolutely he was in the mould of like what Arsene Wenger was doing at Arsenal you know, our diets changed, our preparation, how we worked, how we trained, how many times a day we trained. There was, you know, sometimes early part of the season, pre-season especially, but even during the season, we trained three times a day, you know, six o'clock in the morning, 10.30 and three o'clock, you know. So it was the fittest I'd ever been in my career. I, I prided myself on my fitness, but Tigana and his staff, 
they took us to a new level in terms of fitness and that was one of our massive assets as a team he, he, he provided us with good technical players but were also ridiculously fit so that helped us immensely when we were successful up front in the iconic team was Barry Hales who formed a formidable partnership with Louis Saha scoring many goals and was hugely responsible for Fulham's rise up the table in that season here's Barry explaining how Tagana's system works every player knew when they went on the pitch what their jobs were it wasn't it wasn't complicated the style of play how we play how we build up but the key to it was having a base which was Sean Davis holding midfielder and then the rest of us we had license to, to just find the space and create chances for each other for some though Tagana and his team's approach certainly took some getting used to as Barry mentioned Sean Davis was an integral part of Tagana's system but as Sean explains here his relationship with the former French midfielder was tested early on I think I turned up late once and he went why are you late you're a young lad I went uh, where do you live I went I just ran the corner why are you late he said I'll oh, come and knock on my door at 8.30 every morning before training so I'd go in the morning and go gaffer I'm in he go <laughs> and I'd done, I'd done that for a month and back then I thought oh he's being a bit harsh but when you stop playing and you look at the little things it was because he, he believed in me and wanted me to be professional and, and and have mannerisms and pass that on so and he gave him my chance really I was in and out I was in and out with uh, Bracewell I was in and out with Keegan uh, Wilkins played me a few times uh, and he came in and kind of said you know what I want you to play holding midfield I want you to do this and this and then give the ball to the better players and then when we lose it <laughs> and when you lose it I want I want you to kick this player and then give it again to the better players and give it quick and then he'd always moan, ask Barry, he's always, it seemed to be on, I don't know where it was just because I was with Barry, but it, <laughs> come on, come on, even if I'd have a plate of food, oh, it's too much, it's too much. If I put ketchup on my food, oh, what are you doing putting ketchup on your food? Oh, why, why are you drinking a fizzy drink? It was just, you know, it was a realisation of what you had to be to try and be a top, top player. So for me, he was, he was great. To bolster the team for the upcoming season, Alfayed allowed Tagana and his team to sign some reinforcements that might help with their aim of instant promotion to the Premier League. They spent around £9 million to bring in Biani Goldbeck, Andre Stolzes, John Collins and Louis Saha on permanent deals, and then Fabrice Fernandez and Louis Boamorte were drafted in on loan from Stade Rene and Southampton respectively to bolster the squad. Fulhamish's Drew Heatley remembers the excitement growing around these new players. The new signings were interesting as they came through. I think the biggest was was definitely John Collins. I think we all we'd all known what he'd done in the game, and he was in that period of his career where he was a household name, especially for those of us who sort of watched Euro '96 through sort of uh, young young eyes. Uh, that was probably the biggest. Um, the Louis Sahar, he, he when he came in, it was almost under the radar in the sense that obviously he hadn't he hadn't got a huge goal scoring record, but what what I latched onto immediately was I was looking at his career and obviously spent time at Newcastle and Newcastle being an established Premier League side at that point you immediately think oh he must have some sort of pedigree about him so it was interesting when he came in and I think obviously straight away in pre-season you sort of saw glimpses of of what he was capable of. Luis Boamorto was another one when uh, you know he's obviously obvious Arsenal connections and 
he'd obviously played for Southampton as well. And at that time, you look at that and you think, well, that's that's Premier League quality. You don't almost don't look at what their exact sort of record was with those clubs, but it's that association when you're in that uh, when you're looking so desperately to get into the Premier League and you are signing players which have that link to it you you do get excited regardless of what they've done so far so the new season came around quickly for what it mattered fulham won six and drew two of their eight pre-season friendlies including a slightly surreal encounter against the indian national team at craven cottage with the new signings pre-season form and john tagana in the dugout things were certainly looking good for the season curtain raiser against crew alexandra at the cottage goal back chance now for lee clark sends it back surely for hales it is for Barry Hale. He's only been on five or six minutes. Goldbeck and Clark were the men who set him up. And he's given Fulham the lead. It will be now if Sahar can put this away. It probably is over. Louis Sahar on his home debut. And that's what the fans want to see. Well, I was very fortunate. I went to a pre-season friendly at Tiverton Town in Devon um, and that's when I realised we were in for something special because the football was superb two touch the whole game and with that crew game the first home league game of the season it was 2-0 but you know it's the most one-sided 2 you've ever seen you know class above what we were playing and absolutely brilliant and dominant and completely in control so you know and then we went on to win the what was it the first 11 games of the season and equaling a record and it was just the football was sublime but the results were brilliant as well I think of our first 24 league games we won 19 of them that's how dominant we are on the first part of that season. Fulham's good start quickly turned into a mesmeric start as they went on to win their first 11 Division 1 games in a run that saw them score an astonishing 31 goals. Collins 42 seconds is all it's taken for Fulham to grab the lead. Sahar is clean through here should be 2-0, and it is. Hales to Sahar, back to Hales, bursting into the box by Hales. It's there! Fulham 1, Stockport County 0, Barry Hales. Here's Sahar, here's Hales. He's got inside O'Callaghan. Brilliant save by Miller, but Sahar follows up and scores again. Hales and Fernandez dancing his way through. And that is a fabulous second goal from the young Frenchman. Barry Hales. Oh, that's an emphatic finish. Throws it through to Lee Clark. Takes it beyond the keeper and scores. I think we all thought it was going to be a successful season, but I don't think we realised quite how much we'd set off on the front foot. I think we were unbeaten in pre-season and drew maybe one or two games and won the rest. And then so when we started off against Crew on the first day and it just went on from there, uh, we we just I don't think we could really believe our eyes, and it wasn't just scraping wins. You know, we were beating we beat Stockport four one, we beat Northampton four one, we beat Barnsley five one at the Cottage, which was a game I remember particularly well as I I brought my friend to his first ever Fulham game, and and it was what got him hooked, and we just kept winning by more than one goal. You know, three 0 against Gillingham at home, it was not just a winning run, which in itself is a huge uh, achievement. It was turning over teams with ease. Here's Fulham midfield maestro John Collins on what that early season form was like in the dressing room. When you have a new project, new manager comes in, a few new players, what you're desperate for is, is, a, is a good start. We got off to a flyer, winning games, playing good football. Confidence was sky high. We had Louis Saha up front, Barry Hales, Bo Morty, myself, John, Clarkie, 
And Lee Clark remembers one of those matches in that opening run fondly. I think we ended up beating Barnsley one day at the cottage 5 0. But the pre match talk beforehand was Dave Bassett saying, Oh, his Barnsley team would be able to handle us. He'd heard about our super fitness and it wouldn't be an issue. I think then in the last 15 minutes or so, we just blew them away with five goals or something. And that was a little bit bit, bit sweet. And here's Fulham supporters trust board member Hayley Davidson. She talks about how she thinks that early season run was some of the best Fulham football she's ever witnessed. I think the Slav team is probably the only other time that's come comparably close, but I don't think it beats it. Of every week was just a joy to know that you were turning up and watching that football team. Like across the pitch, players that had played well previously but had got better under Tagana. It was a revolution and really it happened over what two, three months? I mean, he came from the first of July. I remember that was the kind of starting point of his era. And by what August, players that we'd already seen been playing for a couple of years we just realised that they were completely reborn under this regime and it was just, it was a genuine pleasure. One of the new players who instantly hit the ground running was French forward Louis Saar. Signed from FC Metz in the summer for just over two and a half million pounds, within 10 games it was looking more and more like an absolute steal. Fernandez bends across, up goes Sahar! It will be Sahar against Felix. And it's 2-1 Fulham. Fernandez with a kick, Sahar! That's a bit short, and Lewis Sahar is clean through here. Should be 2-0, and it is. Here's Sean and Barry together, talking about what Louis' impact was like on the team. The one player at Fulham that I have to say was a standout in regards to could do anything, could, could shoot with his left, could shoot with his right, could bring the ball down on his chest, could score from five yards, could, could, could score from 30 yards. Uh, I thought Simon Morgan was probably the player. <laughs> Uh, Louis Sahar, Louis Sahar. Listen, that that kid had everything. Like, uh, listen, don't get me wrong. I thought I was half decent at passing the ball, but he used to make one of my bad passes look like a good pass. And I think that season when when we got promoted, and it was him, Barry, and Louis Balmore, I was just just frightening. But he had everything it was a shame that he had picked up a few injuries otherwise he would have gone on to be literally even though he did play in the World Cup for France and play for Man United he's won the Champions League I just feel that the injury the injuries held him back and he could have scored a look like I say he could do anything with the ball anything I think once we played Wolves at home and we had two penalties I think he hit one with his left and one with his right it was like what foot are you Louis oh I'm both I was like okay then same game there's only two players that ever done that for Fulham but one of them did it in the same game which is kind of different class Barry um, I second that um, people ask me the same question and then they say the, um, when I say the Louis and they say no I don't mean striker and I, and I say no I mean the best player throughout because he was the he was quality at pace great in the air I said, Sean said two good feet but I would go back to training days when I was glad that I was a striker playing against him and that because the things he'd done in training to our teammates, I'd be like wincing, thinking, save it to Saturday, Louis, save it to Saturday. Louis, I think, had scored four goals from next to the season before, so he didn't exactly turn up with a, 
a huge reputation, but straight away in the pre-season, you're like looking at him in training, I'm thinking, oh, this, this boy's got a bit, you know, he's, he's a bit special. And over the course of that whole season, it's, it's the best performance I've ever seen from an individual, like at close quarters, over the course of a whole season. He was, he was unplayable, basically. He, he could obviously go both ways, right foot, left foot. Unbelievable spring in the air. He was incredible, and then he'd always had injury problems, and he was hampered a bit with with injuries later on in his career. But I mean, that season he pretty much played every game, and he got plenty of kicks from opposition. But he was like indestructible. He was just phenomenal that season. I never really knew about Louis Sharp before he came, but after the first couple of training sessions, everybody was like, "Oh, this boy can play. <laughs> He's quick. He's got two good feet. This boy's strong." This boy can jump. It was like, wow, where did he come from? Nobody had hardly heard of him. And he just gained the respect of all his teammates. Basically, straight away, with his performance, everybody could see. First thing you see is on the training pitch, the small side of the games, his skill, his change of direction, his accelerations. And he was just a nice, humble young man. You know, he was firmly planted on the ground, smile on his face, it was nice. When he came to us, he had unbelievable explosive pace. He had a ridiculous leap on him to either, you know, he could leap up in the air as if he was going to hit it and catch the ball on his chest and bring it under control and bring midfield players into play and in combinations. And his finishing, his, his, his goal ratio was under scary as well. His full time, even when we went into the Premier League, he continued that. And obviously, that's how he got the the deadline day move in January to Manchester United for close on 20 million quid so you know he, he had everything he had every attribute in the book he could take free kicks he could score tap-ins he could score worldies he could score headers you know he had everything he was a he was he, was a, he would run in behind for you and his pace was explosive for the system we played he was if you wanted to you know pick and, and choose your perfect number nine he was it Hayley from the FST initially wasn't quite so keen, but Louis' form quickly changed her opinion. I was personally a little bit upset that we did sell Jeff Horsfield to get him, but um, I think that was quite quickly turned around because, I mean, he pretty much swapped pre-season friendlies, first games, he just completely got into his stride. I think we knew we just had someone quite special, but he was just unbelievable to watch from the first moment and already a Premier League player in uh, the second tier. And I think that was... That was the start of just quite how exciting we knew this season was going to be. I think it was when we beat Birmingham um, and it was like, this this is going to be special. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sadly for Fulham, the 11-match winning run did come to an end. Teams had started to realise that they had to do anything to contain the attacking brilliance of Fulham, and a backs-to-the-wall display by Wolves at Molyneux was enough to earn the home side a 0-0 draw. Fulham's early season brilliance continued right through to Christmas. They even had a strong Worthington Cup run which culminated in a mouth-watering quarter-final tie with Liverpool at Anfield. Gerard Houllier's team would go on that season to win the League Cup, the FA Cup and the UEFA Cup, 
but his side that contained many stellar names needed extra time to see off Sean Tagana's men. Fulham's final game of the year 2000 saw their biggest margin of victory, a 5-0 thrashing of Watford at Craven Cottage, with Barry Hayes as the star of the show. And he's going to take this left foot, 1-0! Yeah. Goldberg corner, Sahar! Well, Hayes! Kicks it in well, Lee Clark, he's dashed into the box now, Lee Clark for Fulham. Barry Hayes! Clark takes it, Hayes! Celebrates a Christmas hat trick and it's full of four. What good deal! Brilliant plays it low to the box. Stokes, five nil. Wonderful start. But it was very much an unhappy new year for Fulham. They suffered only their second defeat of the campaign away at Stockport County on New Year's Day. And then most shockingly of all, on the 3rd of January, Captain Chris Coleman was involved in a car crash in Surrey that would leave him hospitalised and eventually end his football playing career. Here's John Collins on how he recalls that horrific incident. Well, first of all, Cookie was, was such a big player, a big character in the dressing room, on the pitch, off the pitch. It was a huge glow for us all and we all felt for him. And you knew he, was, he had a, a real bad one and it was going to be a while before he got back. But I think the boys, we just said, look, we're going to try and continue without him. He was a, a, a huge loss on the pitch, but we did. The boys that came in and took his position did an excellent job. And we just carried on winning. It hit the club hard. It hit everyone in the club because he was such a popular person. And I think it gave it gave everyone a little bit of a you know a shock. And it, it it was like a bit of motivation as well, as if to say, well, come on, let's get it done for him as well. Make this promotion for for him as well. So you know, we went ahead and, and cracked on and done it. There was definitely a sense if you felt connected to that team really really closely so when that happened it was quite quite personal almost it was like this team that we just we were just loving watching week in week out we were just like felt almost part of that squad and that like dressing room and then suddenly that just felt like such a kind of 180 on everything because I don't think anything really had gone wrong until that point and then when it did go wrong it was just as you say it was life-threatening it was horrific it just felt so sad. I mean, obviously, the best, most important thing was that he was okay and everything was fine. But I think from the fans' perspective, it was like, ah, here we go. We knew something had to go, you know, it had to happen, that it couldn't just keep going on so well. But it really did galvanise the team. And I think that, obviously, he was probably still around quite a lot. He would have been watching it all. And I think it just kind of made people realise this is how important this is to the whole team. They've got to do it for him. It was a huge shock and I can remember thinking or wondering and conversations with other people about whether this was going to, that injury to you know, the player who was our talisman and had been for the couple of years before and an integral part of the team, the Kevin Keegan season team and, and uh, you know was, was just commanding at the heart of the defence which gave the rest of the players confidence that without him we were going to struggle you know, and maybe Blackburn would catch us. But conversely actually when I think about it and when I think about some of the games towards the end of the season, there was a very strong sense amongst the players. And you saw it when um, the game we got promoted. And I think it was when Boa Morte scored and uh, lifted his sort of shirt and had a, a vest underneath saying, we miss you, or for you, Cookie, we miss you. Or worse that effect, that, you know, the players wanted to do it and the club wanted to do it for him as much as they were going to be doing it with him to get us to the Premier League. Alan Nielsen and Kit Simons. Uh, Simons had obviously done really well in the Division 2 championship winning season but 
both these players had to plug a huge gap from January onwards when Chris Coleman had his car accident and, and ended up obviously missing the rest of the season and, and never playing first-team football again. But they both had to come in and assist Andy Melville uh, in the centre-back position and both did fantastic jobs throughout that. So I think uh, they're not often talked about, but they were vital in the in the effort. Four days after Chris's crash, Fulham welcomed Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United to Craven Cottage for a fascinating third-round FA Cup tie that pitted the leaders of the Premiership against the leaders of Division 1. However, as Kit Simons recalls here, the game paled into insignificance after what had happened to his best mate just days earlier. It was a build-up that week to we played Man United top of the Premier League. And I just, I can't remember anything about the build-up because my best mate had just had a really horrific car crash and that's what just took over certainly my thoughts and, and most of the lads as well, really. You know, Cookie was a larger-than-life character. He was captain and a proper leader on the pitch and just a huge personality around the training ground and around the football club. We knew straight away it was a really obviously really serious accident that it had so I was focused in the game and fully committed but the build up to it all I could think about was, was you know what happened to me mate and I think a lot of the lads were the same if I'm honest following an extremely tough start to the year for all involved Fulham were determined not to throw away all the good work that they'd done in that first half of the season January and February were not as dominant by their early standards, but Fulham kept the wins ticking over with five victories, three defeats and two draws in their first two months of the season. As with any season in the Football League, it's a test of the entire squad and not just the star players. So we asked Tom, Haley, and Drew who they felt their unsung heroes were from that iconic team. My favourite player for that season wasn't one of the players that Tigana brought in, but was Steve Finnan, who I think really came into his own that year. And then he went on and progressed into the Premier League afterwards. But Keegan had bought him when we were from, I think, from Notts County. And he'd, he'd been you know, a competent defender. But that season, I think because of the confidence he had of the players around him, he was brilliant, overlapping getting crosses in. He was a superbly skillful, calm player and worked so well with the rest of the team. And and he improved so much over the time as with Fulham and particularly in that season. You know, Tagana that year was what was remarkable about it was that a lot of the players weren't the players he bought, but every single player got better. And I think Steve Finnan got better more than all the rest of them. I mean, I was a massive Lee Clark fan at the time. I just, I still wonder if he's probably one of my favourite players I've ever seen in a Fulham shirt. Um, just completely controlled the midfield. I suppose in that sort of Danny Murphy-esque style later in our, our watching careers. But uh, he was just week in, week out, comp- like made so many goals in that team. And again, just a really pleasurable player. Like just everything he did was just so simple, but it drove so much of what that team managed to do because everything was about going forward. So it just went through him. For all of the the superstars in that team, uh, from what we did in that division, there were there were a lot of unsung heroes who went under the radar, but really put in shifts. Um, in the in the midfield, you always talk about you know Clark, Davis, and and Collins, but Bjarni Goldbeck uh, arrived from Chelsea, and again another player with huge Premier League quality. Whenever he came in, uh, he just looked so assured on the ball, so he had that quality about him that you just knew that if you've got players like Goldbeck coming off the bench, then you're stood in, in good stead. And although he wasn't in the stands, we asked Lee Clark to go through some of the players who he thought made the team tick, but maybe didn't get the credit that they deserved. You could go through most of them. I mean, you know. The unsung heroes were like the, the lads at the back and, you know, had Chris Coleman. 
Ireland before he had his car accident. So he played half a season with Kit Simons and Andy Melville. We had Rufus Brevet, who, you know, became unbelievably consistent at left back. Steve Finnan, who went on to be a Champions League winner at uh, Liverpool. The young Sean Davis was in midfield with myself and John Collins and Bjarne Goldbeck, the Danish winger, who, you know, from, from Chelsea. You know, we had Lewis Milk Morty and Barry Hales, you know, playing up top with Louis Sahar. That was the, you know, the combinations. We had a young French player called Fabrice Fernandez, who was a, a terrific footballer, technically really gifted, you know. So there was there was good good strength and depth. We had good players, and obviously we you know had Mike Taylor in goal, who had done had been a strong player at Fulham for a few years before that. So yeah, we, we had a British core to it, but you know there was the the, the flair players who were in the foreign lads who were brought in, and uh, it was a good mixture. Fulham may have been the dominant team for the early part of the season, but they were not alone in their ambition to return to the Premiership. Whilst Fulham hadn't been in English football's top tier since the 1960s, for Graham Souness's Blackburn it was a very different story. They were Premier League winners only six years earlier thanks to the money and ambition of Jack Hayward, but they now found themselves back in Division 1 and eager to return to the top tier as soon as possible. Earlier in the season, Fulham edged a close encounter at the Cottage. Fernandez. Nails the goal back in the middle. Still Fernandez. Going for glory. And getting it. It will be Sahar against Phelan. And it's 2 1 Fulham. And no one can say they don't deserve to be in front. In contrast to Fulham, Blackburn had made a comparatively poor start to the season with five defeats from their opening 10 games. But whilst Fulham's form dipped a little bit in early 2001, Blackburn's went from strength to strength and many were tipping the match on the 11th of April between the two sides, just six games from the end of the season as a title and promotion decider. Graham Souness was turning up the pressure in the media on John Tagana, declaring that his side was the best team in the league. Drew recalls the tension that built up between the two sides. The rivalry with Blackburn that sort of developed throughout the, the season was a funny one because for me it was, looking back, it was a, a classic Scotsman versus Johnny Foreigner, who who he saw as a Johnny Foreigner, you know this this French maestro had come to Fulham and was, and we obviously won those first uh, ten games or whatever it was, and 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 it's really stuck in Sunes's craw. And we were the upstarts who came up from the second division, whereas Blackburn were just starting their second season in the first division, having been in the Premiership, having won the Premier League. Uh, let's let's not forget. So in Sunes's mind, they were the hugest fish in a small pond but then you had this upstart little fish that was uh, taking the league by storm and I think you know he couldn't see uh, what was happening right in front of his eyes and different styles uh, different managers different footballing ethoses that clash at the top of the table we turned over Blackburn at the cottage towards the end of our opening season run and I think that set the tone and soon as just started shouting into the void after that I remember that going up on the coach to that one really, really well. And it just being like, because of all the pre-talk and because of Graham Stewart and that whole thing. And definitely, although we'd still been playing, I mean, we had an incredible month, I think the last few games before that, but Blackburn were really in the ascendancy as well. So it slightly felt like it could happen. It could be uh, that it doesn't work out for us. You know, this result, if it goes wrong, it could suddenly be the challenges back on. But 
I think ultimately you look at that squad again and you just knew on paper we could beat them. Oh, a bit of answers. It was Hales and Gillespie to start with, but then it became Brevet and Flitcroft. And there is trouble at Mill. How great is that trouble? It is red trouble. Davis, Baldwin. These guys are going to have to get forward a bit more now. Finnan. Finnan aimed towards Davis and Friedlis dropped it. And Sahara scored. in the drive to get it off forward. They have four over the halfway line. Five now. Clark is one of those. It's Lee Clark for Fulham. Clark shot gets a deflection. Comes to Davis. What a steal. What a steal. That is extraordinary. 90 seconds into stoppage time. That is a promotion jig. That was Tivana's team talk done. As it transpires, it's probably just as well because it was it was wasn't your normal <laughs> Fulham game from that season um, and we needed to have you know an extra incentive or an extra bit of drive or something to maybe get us over the line and to, to actually end up winning that game as we did so I think he did us a massive favour <laughs> if I'm honest um, that was the one time I actually saw Tigana properly animated running down the touchline when Sean scored the winner. You know, you're like, what's, I was like, what's going on here? You know, couldn't believe it. Typical Graham. Graham, he always believes in his team. He always says what he thinks. When he thought they were the best team, but it was proven wrong. We were the champions. We went into their, their own patch. Won probably the most key match of the season. Critical moment. And that's why we won the league. And that's why we were the best team in the league. They might have thought they were, but I think we were proven correct. John was proven, John was proven correct. We, the, we were the best team. I remember that that game at Blackburn, um, going down to 10 men, 1-0 um, down, get an equaliser. Um, and what happened then, it was, it was really eerie in a way. It just felt as though, you know, after we got the equaliser, the spirit just rose and we were just so determined to get something out of that game and being amongst that crowd um, and when Davis scored that goal it was just a magic moment and the whole play I mean I'm, I sort of struggle to remember exactly what happened I remember it happening the goal going in and I remember when I calmed down after celebrating but I couldn't tell you what I did in that celebration it was one of those afterwards seeing the pictures in Tigana who wasn't the most demonstrative of characters you saw him sort of running down the, the touchline to celebrate that goal that goal meant so much and although it wasn't until the following game we mathematically got promoted that was the game when we knew that we were definitely on our way to the Premier League for the first time since or the top division for the first time since the late 60s whilst promotion wasn't 100% confirmed at Blackburn Fulham had amassed such a gap that it was all but settled hero of the hour Sean Davis recalls a story that happened the night after he'd ingrained himself into Fulham folklore with that iconic goal and celebration at Ewood Park we, we played Blackburn away uh, obviously great result all the boys are on a high get on the coach there's no beers or anything on the coach because Tigana hated us drinking uh, and we were playing Huddersfield I think three days four days later was it three days later so uh, the following day I think Bolton were playing at home against someone and the, the manager said to us oh who wants to go to the game so 
all the lads was like, yeah, we go to the game. So we got on the coach, we went to Bolton and then we had this box. So we got in the box and about 10 or 11 of us in the box. And I think it was Baz turned to me and went, no, they're not selling There's no alcohol. I went, oh, let's, let's go to the pub across the road. So we went to the pub across the road and obviously had a few drinks celebrating. Uh, got, didn't get carried away. Yes, yes yeah. we did. I got that. But then we were watching the game, the actual bottom game on the... Uh, the Sky TV in the pub and then while the game's playing they zoom in to the box with all the Fulham players we don't think anything of it we get back to the hotel and Tagana's like got his toothpick in he goes through the door and then he says hello to everyone and he pulled me and Barry went oh I, I didn't didn't see you in the box where, where were you two like where were you we were like well, trying not to breathe on him because we smelled like <laughs> And then, luckily enough, we both were subbed for the Huddersfield game, so we got away with that. But it's all in history. If Tigana knew we were in the pub, he would have absolutely crucified, crucified us. So yeah, that that was an old senior player dragging on a young player. So I, I, I just blame both. Three days after the victory at Blackburn, Fulham were on their travels up north again, with a short trip over the Pennines to face Huddersfield Town at the Kirkley Stadium, as Louis Boamorte's late goal secured promotion back to the top flight for the first time since 1968. Through to Boamorte, and that's an almost a replica of his goal at Gillingham recently. And it's Fulham 2-1 up, and promotion seemingly is there. Fulham didn't have long to celebrate though, as less than 48 hours later, Fulham were once again in action. This time they were back at the cottage to face Sheffield Wednesday, knowing they needed a point to secure the championship title and firmly put Graham Souness in his box. They needed some late Sean Davis magic though to do it. Still by Amorte, over the feet of Lescott Hales. Davis! Oh, what a finish! Sean Davis! Secures the first division title for Fulham. Oh, what a wonderful finish. Sean Davis does a jig at the Havis' end. Fulham are level. Fulham are champions. The Blackburn game was the one that did it, but then you, you wanted to go and celebrate it on, on your home turf. So Sheffield Wednesday was fantastic. And for the owner, I mean, when I, when I signed a few years earlier, Keegan and Cookie it was I was talking to I said listen there's a five year plan in place this club will be in the Premier League in five years and I bought into it and I that was part of the dream that I bought into and I believed in and you know we did it in three years mm. so and also you know that my first season I was going over and we'd have a drink in the Riverside in the bar after games and I would be drinking with some of the fans who and literally, what, two seasons earlier? Kept, helped to keep the club afloat. They had to put their own money in to keep the club in existence because mm. it was it was that dire at the time. And then, obviously, our fire came in and, and the rest is history. So it was nice to be able to sort of celebrate in front of those fans who, like I say, a lot of them had literally kept their club alive a few years earlier when, when it was some real dark days. And so... That was, that was a bit special, to be honest. Yeah, it was really nice. I think it summed up the season. It was just everything about what had happened from the first game back in August to that moment had all been rising. And it was the moment that had happened since Alfired had taken over. We were going to go up. It was this 
belief in this squad and everything about this goal of going to the Premier League all came to a head and it was the guy that had been there since the very beginning and that scored the goal in front of us all at Ewood. It was just, just unbelievable. With the return to the Premiership sealed and the title secured, Fulham had only one plausible objective left. The potential to not only finish the season as champions, but also to finish the season with a points tally in three figures, as Drew recounts. Yeah, the points total was a real badge of honour. I remember for me as a kid as well, because, you know, I couldn't remember anyone getting to, to three figures. And of course, it's only happened a couple of times since, I think maybe once in the Premier League. Um, it's crazy for that to happen. And I remember, you know, once we'd hit 100, we could have we could have hit 106. But I think uh, we drew our uh, penultimate game of the season and lost at Grimsby on the final day. So we had to settle. We had to settle for 101, which great just to get over that line. I think it would have been it would have been silly to be annoyed about it, but it would if we finished on 99, I think that would have been a bit disappointing for uh, just, you know, a tiny little blot on the copybook of what was a, an amazing season, really. Once the season was over, Fulham fans could get excited for the next chapter in the club's long history. But not before, of course, a big celebration had taken place. Fulham fans lined the streets in southwest London for an open top bus parade with all of the first team, Jean Tagana and Mohamed Al-Fayed there to party with the fans. John Collins was one of those on board. First open top bus, I brought my daughter, my little daughter, she came on the bus, I've got lovely pictures with my daughter on the bus with me. And we sometimes get the pictures out, magical moments in her life, my life. Obviously the dinner at Harrods was like, as you'd expect, five star. <laughs> Beautiful food everywhere, the drinks were flowing, and Mr Fire was floating about, cloud nine, everybody was high as high as could be, just enjoying happiness. Achieving what we set out at the beginning of the season to achieve was to take the club back into the big town. Little old Fulham dominating the championship, having everybody talking about the style of football we play. It's, it's, of course, it's about winning, but for me, I think what's as memorable as winning the league is the style and the manner. I know at the end of the season we had a good time. We had uh, a celebration and we had a big party in Harrods with, through the owner, Mohamed Al Fayed. He threw a big party for the families and everyone involved with the club. So that was good. Nothing spared. I mean, in the top floor, main restaurant of Harrods, all to ourselves in terms of, you know, any amount of food, any amount of, of drink and the most expensive wines or champagnes you can buy. That was on offer. He looked after us unbelievably well on numerous different occasions. So when we won promotion to the Premier League, for the first time, which was his dream when he took over. He put on a celebration worthy to the name Harrods and, you know, our families were all in attendance and everyone involved in the backroom teams at, at the club and the office staff and it was, a, it was a great occasion. But what was it like to witness that season and be in the stand? Was the 2000-2001 season one of the best campaigns to be a Fulham fan? Tom Greatrick certainly thinks so. It was an amazing period. It was the culmination of two previous promotions in the previous four seasons. But to get that promotion and to play that good football meant that you know people were going home and away every week. And my formative years in travelling home and away was during this five-year period when we went from the bottom division to the top. We had three promotions. The Adams season was a plucky promotion season. The Keegan season was really about raising the profile of the club. But the Tagana season, it was about the panache of the football it was absolutely superb. It was a joy to watch. And having, you know, huge away crowds at places like Huddersfield and Preston and Birmingham and stuff, um, you know, it was just like a, a non-stop carnival. It was absolutely one of the best 
times of my life watching Fulham. The 2000-2001 season was just the absolute pinnacle. We could enjoy being a football fan, not just at home games, but away games as well, where we could just go off and be the team that was actually like, people were afraid of us. And if people got a point against us, that would be like a huge point for them. There's not many times ever since really where we've been in that position. And I think it was just people were just enjoying everything about it because you kind of know when that sort of season's happening, it definitely doesn't last forever. So whilst you have it, just take it all in. So what is the legacy of Tagana's iconic team? They were record breakers, entertainers and history makers. So how will time remember them? The 2000-2001 season was magical for many reasons. I think for uh, Fulham fans, all of us together, it was just the culmination of what was an amazing ride, a uh, four-year ride uh, since Mohamed Al-Fayed came in and we were sharing that together. And I think from a wider footballing perspective, you know, as a, as a kid who grew up in a school in Hampshire where everybody were Man United fans and nobody had a clue who Fulham were, it was a season where everybody started talking to me about Fulham and, and when we finally did it, it was being let into the big boys club of, of the Premiership uh, and being in there on the top table of, with 19 other clubs it was just a dream come true and it's a phrase that's thrown around a lot in football but it really was for for me at that time and I think uh, so you had the the Fulham family sharing it together but also gaining that acceptance from the outside world and it was just uh, it was just a combination on a season that you know none of us had ever seen before and and, and won't see again for many many years if if at all uh, a real sort of life-defining season in the in being a Fulham fan. That period those few years when we had three promotions in uh, in five seasons was an amazing time to be a Fulham fan after all that had come in the sort of 10 or 15 years before then. But I think the legacy of that team and that season was what was comfortably the best ever football that Fulham have played. The year we got to the Europa League final was different. It was a different type of football. The Keegan season was a different type of football. But for technically brilliant, entertaining football with loads of goals and loads of uh, attacking and possession and playing brilliant football. The only thing that ever came close, I think, was probably the second half of the 2017-18 season. But we did this for the whole of the season. If you look at the record books, it's the fewest defeats we've ever had in a season of five, the most away wins, 14. First team to do 100 plus points two times, so over two promotions. So on the record books, it was a record-breaking season. But anyone who was fortunate enough to be watching that season and watching those games regularly will tell you it's the best football we've seen as well and you know as much as you want to win games winning them whilst playing in a way that is massively entertaining and through the respect of the people you were playing against just makes it even better and of course as you probably know the Tagana team was a catalyst for an extraordinary 13 year stint in the top flight for Fulham it sparked the arrival of many international superstars and only one season later they even qualified for European competition. For Lee Clark, it was the culmination of an extraordinary journey. In seven years, we went from 91st to the Premier League and then a year later, we were competing in the Europa League. So eight years, eight and a half years, it took the club to go from second bottom of the Football League to competing in Europe. So that tells you the, the upward trajectory we were on. The way in the owner, he demanded success. And like I say, but he backed his managers. 
and he backed his players and gave them the, the tools to achieve that. And, and we've done it. They certainly did indeed. An incredible season, one that won't be forgotten quickly by those that played on the cottage pitch and those in the stands who marvelled over Tagana's sophisticated and swashbuckling side. If you enjoyed this episode of Unforgettable, please check out our previous two documentaries that we've made, looking back at those famous Europa League victories over Juventus and Hamburg in 2010, with input once again from the players and fans that were part of those special nights. If you're new to the Fulhamish podcast, please subscribe to us on the podcast app of your choice to get our weekly analysis of everything to do with Fulham Football Club. And finally, a special thank you to Sean Davis, Barry Hales, Kit Simons, Lee Clark, John Collins, Drew Heatley, Hayley Davidson and Tom Greatrix for all giving their insights into that wonderful season. Credits as well to George Cooper on the production and to Peter Rutzler and Chris Woff from The Athletic for collating much of the audio you heard in this documentary. I've been Sammy James and thank you for listening to Unforgettable, the 2000-2001 champion.